0: You can be seated. Um, this morning we're going to uh, take a break from our regularly scheduled program, which has been parables, and I want to give a Thanksgiving sermon. And uh, it's a, just a little short verse I want to share with you, very short. Uh, the verse is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, and here is the verse. It says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ." Jesus. So the question that you may have, the question I have all the time, uh, the question that Mark and Lita and Elliot had, and is why they're leaving, is what is God's will for my life? That's the thing that drives us. That's what we're looking to do. Yeah, we want to be close to God, and then we say, well, what are we supposed to do? What's God's will for my life? And I think, in fact, I know that we have a tendency to answer that question in grandiose fashion, right? Uh, which can be discouraging for some because you have some that say, well, God's will for my life is to baptize 500 people in my lifetime, right? Or to bring the gospel to the Ivory Coast of Africa. Or God's will for my life is to rid the entire world of AIDS. Now, okay, listen, maybe God is leading you specifically to do that, and if it fits with the already revealed word of God, then we bless you and we send you. But still, the question for many church people is, well, what about me, Uh, Not all of us can sell our home and live in an RV, and not all of us should. So what about me? Uh, We can't all go to Africa. We can't all be paid pastors. We can't all start feeding programs in India. So here's what I want to say. There are some things in the Bible is God's will for all of us all the time. Like, not just for a few of us, but for all of us all the time. Today's text speaks to one of those things. It's not a suggestion. There are no caveats. No exceptions, no ifs, ands, or buts, no cultural context to consider as we would consider if we were talking about maybe clothing attire or tattoos or dietary requirements or the length of hair. Those all fall into cultural context as well. But this is straightforward. It's simple. It's clear. What's God's will for all of our lives this morning, every one of us here this morning, whether you're visiting or not, it's simple, is to give thanks in all circumstances. The Greek word that's used there is Eucharisteo. Eucharisteo, where we get our word Eucharist. Have any of you heard the word Eucharist before? Right? Raise your hand. Can okay, many of you? What's the Eucharist? The Eucharist is the, the Holy Communion. That's right, the, the Lord's Supper, depending on what congregation you go to, we call it something different. That word means exactly what the Bible says it does when you read it. It means to give thanks. Eucharisteo, to be grateful. In the Greek, the flow of this verse is translated best this way. What he actually says in the Greek is he says, In all things, or at all times, be thankful. And the emphasis in the Greek is actually in the unceasing nature of the action that he is requiring of us. That's the emphasis. He's saying, in all things, at all times, rejoice. Be grateful. The reason why he says that is because that's how you know it's real. You know you have it because there are no times or circumstances that can diminish it in your life. And if you ask me this morning, Pastor, that's, that's great, that sounds good, but how can I do it? How can this be done? And we'll talk about it later, but if you just off the cuff ask me that, my first answer would be, don't ask me, because, because I'm not very good at it. Like, I have to work at it. I'm a, I am a learner, especially when it comes to this discipline. I'm a novice, um, now, I know that I'm much better than many, but I'm not near as good as some that I've met, and I like to be around those people. Like, what I want to say to you is just go visit some nursing home, and I bet you find some sweet old lady you know, who's lost her spouse, and her kids never, never visit her, and she still sings at a you know, community piano, and she'll smile and give you a hug, and she will be able to tell you more about being grateful than I can. Uh, Go on a mission trip somewhere, like I have. Even spend five years there. What what will happen is you will receive a hug from a shoeless boy who has an abusive father simply because you played soccer with him for 15 minutes. And he will be able to tell you more about being grateful than I. The reason why I'm not very good at it is because, like you, I'm a product of my culture. Just like you, I was raised in this culture, and I don't know if you know it, but we are the least thankful culture that has probably lived on the face of the earth at any point in time and I don't need to get into that you just need to know it's true because we have more than at any point in the history of mankind but the second thing I would say to you after I say you know oh, it's not really I'm not really good at it is I would say I do know though you have to work at it almost all the fruits of the spirit I don't know if you know this but almost almost all the fruits of the spirit are communicable do you know what I mean by communicable Right. If you have it, all the nurses say you catch it. Right. If you if communicable means uh, if somebody has a cold or a flu and it's communicable, it means you catch it. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to work at getting it. Right. And that's true of the fruits of the spirit. When we talk about joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, it's it's poor teaching to say you know go home and work at it. Because you get those by being close to God. In other words, they're communicable gifts of God because that's who He is. You see? You catch them from Him. You don't work on them. You, you don't receive them by being, you know, like going home and saying, okay, today I'm going to work on patience. W-w- let me fill out a sheet, or let me think about some things. No. You, you get close to God, and by being close to God, you will become more patient. We get those fruits of the Spirit by being grounded in Him, In relationship with God, both through his word and with the spirit that you already have. But most people don't know that thankfulness, gratefulness, eucharisteo, is not one of those communicable gifts. It's a holy discipline. It's practiced and it's learned behavior. Which means it's entirely up to you and I. It's a choice that we make about how we want to do life. It's a choice we make about how we want to think about our lives. It's a choice we make about how we think about the circumstances of our lives. So, here's what I want to say. You can't just be thankful by going home and praying about it and waking up the next day and wondering if you're going to be thankful. It's something that we work on. It's, con- it's, it's the ability to control your mind and control your heart. When somebody comes up to me and says, You know what, I really, I've been, you know, what my heart is telling me or what I've been thinking, I'm already suspect about what they want to say. Because when it comes to thankfulness, especially, it's about telling your heart what to think, it's about telling your mind what to think. Do you see the difference? You don't just feel what you feel. You don't just think what you think. That's the opposite of thankfulness. You work at it. You change. And some of us miss that. Because some of us say, you know what, I'm just by nature. I'm not a very thankful person. You know, I, I don't have the wiring. Well, welcome to the club. None of us have the wiring to be thankful. Let me give you an example. When we had twins, it surprises we had twins, and my wife wanted us to have some tools in the toolbox on how to communicate with these little ones because they're crazy to have twins at first. When it's your first children, you're not sure you can even do one child. You have two. And what she wanted to do is, I remember she wanted to teach them some sign language, which I thought was really weird, because they weren't deaf. And so I thought, why would we do that? Listen, like most parenting decisions, uh, she was right and I was wrong. Um, Because what I learned is babies can sign before they can talk. That's all. So it was, it was amazing, and what a relief as a parent, because I don't know, it, you know, I was a stay-at-home dad for a lot of the time with those twins, and it's sometimes when they're crying at you and screaming, and you don't know what you want, like, is it less, more, are you hurting, is it, so, you know, where's it at, what? you don't know why, and so anyways, uh, we gave them tools, and when they started to speak to us through their hands, it was amazing, and, and it was a relief as a parent, and so anyways, she taught them many words, but I'll, I'll share two uh, not many, maybe four or five words, but here's one that she taught them. Um, more. You, you put your, Anybody, do this for me. I'm teaching you sign language. Do this with your hands, and then you put them together like this. That's the sign language for more. Really easy, right? By the way, you know what this is? That's milk. Right, do you know what this is, Doug? No, past... No. I don't, I don't, I don't even know if I need a punchline now. No, this is pasteurized milk. Pretty good. Anyways, pasteurized. Anyways, we, um, we taught them that, and pretty soon they got it. And sure enough, they started using all the time. And, and they, they would do that. So it was great. So they have a sippy cup, and they do this. And I go, oh, they want more juice. I get it. Or like this, they want more snack. They want more food. They want more yogurt. gog is what they called it when they were little. Like, even if you t- were tickling them, they could do this, like more and more, and you go, yes, I know what they want. Or a toy. They want more of a toy. Um, so it was great, because we had communication before they could say words. Another word she taught them, actually two words, but it's a thought, is she would do this, and do this with me. You put your hand on your chin, and you do this. Anybody? It just means thank you. Thank you. Um, great. Easy to learn. Now, guess which one my kids used most often? <laughs> right? And the funny thing is we never ever had to remind them to tell us this. Right? They, they got it. Done. Never had to remind them. But we had to constantly remind them, constantly tell them, constantly teach them to please every now and then do this. You know? So they'd do more and I'd put juice in their cup and they wouldn't do anything. I'd say, thank you, say thank you. And they would you know, whatever, they wouldn't do it. But they knew it and, and it was really hard for them to learn that. So you know, learn something here. We have a sin nature, and what you know right away is one comes naturally, and one is a discipline. And I think this is why. Because when we do this we get something or when we do this we get something, and when we do this it's like giving something. And it's much harder to give than to get. And I started thinking this week about our relationship with God. And I thought most of us are like 200-pound babies, spiritually. And we're always doing this in our hearts and in our minds to God. We're always doing this. Every day we're doing this. At night we're doing this. When we pray, we do this. More, and more, 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 more. And seldom do we do this with God. And I thought, wow. How do we change that, God? How how do we change that? How can we become more thankful people? Especially on just more than one day a year on Thanksgiving or one week a year. How how do we change in a way that we actually start to do it every day in our lives? Do this actually more than we do this. And so that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how maybe, I'm going to give you tools for your toolbox to how you can change that part of your life as I'm trying to change mine. And then at the end we're going to talk about why it's important to do that. So first of all, Here's some ways to become more thankful. The first one's really easy. Don't be lazy. Uh, that sounds mean. I don't mean it to be mean. I could put it this way: discipline your heart and mind. Work at it. But what I'm getting there to is for you to understand that it's work. Don't be lazy. You know what the opposite of giving thanks is? It's not not giving thanks. You know what the opposite of giving thanks? Grumbling, mumbling, being negative, being grouchy. And if you're like that, or if you're even slanted toward negative feelings, if you're slanted towards critical energy, what I want to say is, congratulations, you're being exactly who you are, which means you're lazy. And the reason the next person isn't that way is because they're working more than you at it. In fact, that's the first thing I sense when someone is in one of those grumpy moods. And you can feel it, can't you? When it's this energy they bring in and blah, 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 and this and this and this and this. And, and what I want to say is stop being lazy, Because what they're unwilling to do is they're unwilling to try to control their mind and control their heart, to think differently, to feel differently. And by the way, God hates grumbling. Do you know that? God hates grumbling. It's the biblical reason that the Israelites were kept out of the promised land. Do you know that? Oh, yeah, you know, they could make mistakes in their marriage, right, with other wives and do some terrible things with the idols and, yeah, all those upset God. But what really upset him was their grumbling. Oh, yeah, I'm hot walking in the desert all the time. I'm, I miss the food in Egypt. Remember we used to have that fish and those leeks? I'm tired of walking all the time. When are we going to get someplace? I'm thirsty. It was better to be a slave in Egypt than to be free in the desert and God couldn't stand it anymore. 1 Corinthians 10.10 says this, Do not grumble as some of the Israelites did, and they were killed by the destroying angel. They were destroyed by the destroyer. Philippians 2.14, Paul says this, Do everything without murmuring and arguing. Same word is used. He says do everything. In other words, live your life all the time without doing that. But you have to work at it. And what what I want you to know is you can't just say, This is who I am. You can't just allow yourself to feel what you feel, because if you do, you will grumble and I will grumble. Listen, is God sovereign or is he not? Is he all-powerful or not? Is he all-knowing or not? Is he all-good or not? See, and if you hold all those together, then you can't grumble. The reason you're grumbling is you must not believe he's all-knowing, you know, or you must not believe that He's good. You see, when you refuse to live a grateful life, it's like saying you refuse to process your life as a Christian. You're refusing to do it. You're refusing to process your life through God's redemptive and active work in mankind. Listen, we don't have time to tell all these stories, but I think most of you know them enough for me to just reference them. Remember Joseph in the Old Testament? right? And so uh, what, what did he do? Well, he was cruelly, viciously attacked and beaten, almost murdered by his brothers, thrown into a pit, Sold then into slavery. His life is gone forever now. And then he gets there. He starts to rise up, make the best of his situation. Then he's unfairly accused of a crime he didn't commit. Thrown into an Egyptian prison. What did he do? Well, I'm sure he cried. I'm sure he was upset. But he wasn't lazy. And we know he wasn't lazy. We know he processed his life through the discipline of a man who believed in a sovereign and good God. Because we know that. Because when his brothers get to Egypt finally and they ask for his forgiveness, what does he say? And, and, and this is, these are my words, but he says these in two different places. I'll just put them together. He says, essentially, he says, what do you mean, forgive you? I already forgave you. He'd already processed it. He said more than that. He said, you know what? It's not even my place to withhold forgiveness from you. It's not even up to me to forgive you because I believe that God's good. And I believe he's powerful and sovereign. And so if you threw me in a pit, that must have been God doing that. Planning on top of your plan so that he could get me to Egypt to save you. That must be what happened. And the reason I was in prison is so that I could be Pharaoh, you know, next to Pharaoh now for such a time as this so that I could save you from starvation. And so why do I need to forgive you when God's working it all out for his good? You see how he processed as a human being? Why don't we do that more? What did Paul do? Paul was thrown into a Roman jail. He's awaiting his execution. And then he starts writing a letter, one of those to the, uh, the church in Philippi. And he writes this letter, and he says, I thank God for you. It's so beautiful. He starts this, And then he says, don't worry about me being in jail. I thank God for this because it's good news that God brought me here because I guess, he's thinking, I think what's happening is God wants me to share the gospel with the Roman guards. Because what you maybe don't know is that in their day, there was an actual Roman guard chained to Paul in eight-hour shifts. And he's saying, I have a really captive audience. right?" They can't get away from me. I think that's why God put me in prison. Praise God for that. Both men are showing us the way through. They're processing their lives through what they knew about a good and loving God, about a God who seeks to show his glory to all mankind, and that they were just tools in God's toolbox. Now, both men didn't know all the truth, did they? Joseph, without knowing it, was also saving the lineage of Jesus Christ. He was bringing them to Egypt to grow as a nation. He didn't know that. He was fulfilling the prophecy to, to Abraham when God said there would be a time when the Israelites would be moving. Joseph probably didn't know any of that. Paul, what was he doing? Well, yeah, maybe he was saving a few guards and bringing the gospel into you know, the imperial guard, but what else was he doing? He didn't know he was writing two-thirds of the New Testament while he was sitting in prison. He didn't know that he was writing the book of the Philippians, my favorite New Testament book. He didn't know that I, Don Logan would be reading that today up to his church you see, God had other plans on top of even what they could know. But what is important for you to know is that they tried. They tried to process life. They, they weren't lazy. Don't be lazy. Grumblers are spiritually lazy people. I never... Listen, let me give you, uh, let me, you know, confessions from a pastor. I never wake up in the morning and go, Oh, it's a good morning, Lord. Every morning I wake up and I say, Good Lord. It's morning already? Good Lord. Like, I don't think we should have to see more than one seven o'clock a day or six o'clock even. Like, this is, oh. Unless, unless I'm fishing. If I'm going fishing, that's the only time I wake up and go, oh, great morning. I don't care if I'm tired. I'm going to catch a big fish. I'm a grumbler by nature. I have to work on it. I wake up in a mood of grumbling. And so you, my wife will tell you, what am I? I'm quiet because I, I don't want things to come out of my mouth. Nothing looks good in the morning to me. Nothing looks good till about eight o'clock at night. I'm grumbling at church before I get here. And people say, Oh, what's wrong, Pastor Dunn? It's just morning. That's all. <laughs> Why do I have that in me? I don't know. Is it from my parents? Is it from their parents? I know it comes from Adam. It's just in me. I have to work at it, but it has nothing to do with my Holy Spirit. It means I have to think about things more. I have to work at the... And you know, my wife, God love her, she's a grumbler too. (laughs) But let me tell you why. I don't know if any of you know what it's like to live with a perfectionist. And here's her struggle, is she knows, if you're a perfectionist, and she's right, by the way, the entire world would work better if everybody would listen to her, right? (laughs) And if you're a perfectionist, you know what that's like, and you know what, she's right. Right? But every, every space she walks into, she can see what's wrong. You know, this should be this time, or why didn't they do it this way? The time should be this way, or why wasn't this wrong? Right? If she could just organize it, and so she, what does she have to do? Together as a married couple, we have to work at it. We have to talk, and, and when she's grumbling, I have to like, try to pull her back. And when I'm grumbling, she has to try to pull me back into the land of happy land. Right? Uh, we work on it. This isn't about how much spirit you have. This is work ethic stuff, is what I want to say. Now, Paul doesn't say from prison. He could have said. He doesn't say from, from prison. Just pray to the Lord, our Jesus Christ, and you will get thankfulness beyond measure. He could have said that. He didn't say that. You know what he says? Philippians 4.8. What does he say? He tells you how to do it. He says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure, whatever's pleasing whatever's commendable, if there's any excellence, you see how he's grasping any excellence. If there's anything worthy of praise, think about that. See what he's telling you? And you can almost see now how he gets to the place where he can say, I thank God that I'm in prison because I guess I'm supposed to bring the gospel to the Roman guard. You see? He's telling you how he did it. Don't be lazy. Work at it. Secondly, Here's the second tool in your toolbox, is you have to sometimes die to the thought that you can always understand. Now, does it seem like I'm just contradicting what I just said? I'm not. I just said, try to think it through, and then I say, but you won't always understand, and die to that thought. What I mean by that, let me explain, is there are some moments in your life when I cannot, when you cannot reason what's happening to you and how that can be good in the moment that you're experiencing it. So when Joseph was in the pit, he was crying out to his brothers. When he was in prison, he was trying to a little bit manipulate, you know, the couple of the, the people he had, you know, interpreted their dreams and said, when you get out, tell Pharaoh I'm in here, right? He, he didn't know what's going on because Joseph didn't have enough of the pieces of the puzzle to understand. But he was still submissive. So what I want to say in this point is just be submissive even when you can't understand When Leah in the Old Testament was unloved by Jacob, she didn't have all of the information to know that someday she would be the mother in the lineage of Jesus Christ. What an honor. What an honor for Leah. So Jacob says, essentially Jacob with his life says, I love Rachel and I hate Leah. And Leah felt that all the time. God, and I'm talking in terms of the gospel, God was saying all the time, I love Leah and hate Rachel. And I don't mean hate, you know what I mean? choosing which one through the lineage, that the lineage of Jesus Christ would come through. But what Leah didn't do is she didn't run away from home. She didn't divorce her husband. She was submissive. She said, I don't understand this, but you know what, God? You have me here. I could literally give you 30 more examples just off the top of my head of people who couldn't understand but were submissive to God. Here's, what, here's why this rubs us the wrong way. If I asked you what does submission mean, some of you would answer in this way. It's an American way to answer. We would say, this is what submission means. Submission means that we take a submissive role in a company or in an organization or in a church or maybe even in our home. We can even take a servant's role. Here's, here's the caveat. As long as, this is the American part, just to say that. As long as we agree with the direction of the organization, church, and the home as long as the decisions that are being made are the decisions that I agree with. I know it hurts, but amen? Friends, let me tell you something that I told you before. That's not submission. That's, that's prideful agreement masked as submission. The test of submission is when you don't understand. The test of submission is when you don't agree. That's how you know if you are submissive. If you bail on every moment you don't agree or don't understand, not only will your life get more difficult, but the truth is you never were submissive. You were simply agreeing to the terms. Listen, if I tell Olivia, Olivia's five, and I say, okay, listen, I know she doesn't like this food, and she gets up when she eats, so, Livy, I need you to sit in that chair, and I don't want you to get up, and I I want you to finish that meal, and if you do, you can have this piece of chocolate and you get 30 minutes of Kindle time. She does it. Now, was Olivia submissive? See, our hearts want to say, yeah, she was. A-. No, Olivia agreed to the terms. You see, 90% of parenting is asking your kids to submit when they don't understand, when they don't like the outcome, when they, when they can't even comprehend the thinking of a parent. And what you need as a parent is you don't need them to understand because they might not be able to understand. What you need is obedience. What you need is true submission. If, if, <coughs> if we don't teach our kids to turn off the lights, we leave all the lights on all the time, leave the water running, you know. Every time we go to Walmart... They want a toy, we get it for them. You know, there's a gum, they get it. There's a snack cuz Walmart's crazy about this, you know. There's new pens, there's a new marker, there's new snack, there's a, a cool electronic gizmo. Yes, 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 we always say yes to that. And oh, they want to go to Hershey Park. You want to go to Hershey Park? Sure, okay, we'll take you. Let's go to Hershey Park. Let's go to Hershey Park again because your friends are going to Hershey Park. You want to get ice cream this weekend? Sure, any weekend you want. it, You will get ice cream. Oh, you want to buy cool shoes that light up because a friend at school has cool shoes that light up even though you're going to outgrow them in 6 months. Let's get you cool shoes that light up. What they don't know is if we said yes to all those decisions, then we would have to go back and say, now you can't go to Florida this year, and you're not going to swim with the manatees like you did last year, and you're not going to have that magical day at Disney. Now, a 10-year-old maybe be able, might be able to process that kind of decision-making, but Olivia never could, could she? So she doesn't need to know why I'm saying no. No. When, you're, when they're four, five, six, seven, even eight, even the kids at 10 in some ways, all I need from them is submission because I already know that I'm good and Heather's good and we're looking out for them. We're trying to do what's best for them. You see, we need them not, we don't need their understanding, we need their submission. So here's what I want to say for you. When you're going through difficult times, sometimes you can't understand and so what you need to do is submit to the fact that you have a good God. Just stay in it. Listen, if we could understand God, we wouldn't have a God big enough to save us. Of course we can't understand him. You know, if Olivia could always understand every decision I'm making, there's something mentally wrong with me. For If a five-year-old could, under, five-year-old could understand me, do you think you could understand God's ways? No. So submit. We give thanks for who he is And we submit to our circumstances whether or not we like them as a way of praising God, as a way of saying, I don't get it, but I trust you. That's thankfulness. Besides, listen, we don't even know what's good or what's bad, do we? We think we do, we don't. Let me give you an an old Chinese parable that sums it up for me. I've shared it before. Here's the Chinese parable. Once upon a time, there was an old man, Sai Wang, who lived on the northern border of China, and he raised horses for a living. One day, one of Sai Wang's horses escaped from the stable and ran across to the Mongolian border. When the word went around the village, many of his neighbors came to comfort Sai Wang, And they all said, we're so sorry about what happened. We heard the bad news. And to their surprise, Sai Wang replied, don't be sorry. How do you know it's bad news? Several months later, his prized horse returned from the border, uh, from the Hu people, and also came with several amazing other wild horses in tow. And when his neighbors heard the news, one after the other came to Sai Wang's home to congratulate him. You were right. We're so happy for you. What great news, Sai Wang? And he calmly said, don't be happy for me, for how do you know that this is good news? Sai Wang had a son who loved to help break the horses, and he was riding one of the wild horses to break it, and the horse broke free from a pin and threw Sai Wang's son and shattered his leg. Sai neighbors came to comfort and console him while his son was in bed. We're so sad. We're so sorry. Surely your son will be crippled from here on out. What bad news for you, Sai Wang? And Sai Wang calmly said, Don't be sad. How do you know this is bad news? They all left thinking that he was, you know, had lost his senses due to the grief. But shortly after, The Hu people began to invade northern China, and all the men and boys of fighting age were summoned in that very village to fight for their country. Although China fought back and won the war, all of the men and all of the boys from that village lost their lives. The neighbors slowly made their way back to Sai Wang's home. His son could not fight in the war, obviously, because his broken leg, and so his son had survived. And they all came to him crying and saying to him, Indeed, indeed, Sai Wong, you were right. What a lucky turn of events for you. You must be so happy for you have good news and your son is alive and all of our boys and sons and fathers are dead. And Sai Wong calmly said, How do you know? How do you know that this is good news? Don't be happy for me. You know, here's what I want to... Here's why I share that parable. First of all, because it's so true. But secondly... As I have looked back on my life, just my life, Don Logan, some of my worst moments are moments that I now look back and thank God for. In the moment I was DOA, I mean, I could not see my way out. There's no way that this could be good for me. And I look back now and I say, that was such a good thing for me. There are some things that I look back on my life and I think, that was the happiest day of my life in that moment. And I look back now and I say, how... That wasn't, that wasn't even that good for me now as I look back. That, that kind of hurt me. You see? Please, you're not God. And when, when I say that, it means you don't know. You don't have a full picture to know what is good news or what is bad news. Now, I'm talking about things that are clearly outside of the reach of Scripture. I'm not talking about whether or not, you know, you murder somebody, right? I'm talking about things that are outside the will of God. Think about, think about the history of this church. Have you processed it through the lens of God's grace and redemptive work? What exactly has been good news or bad news? And as you continue to journey, you'll discover that. And so we submit because we do not know what God is doing. Amen? Now third, the third tool in your tool- toolbox is pretty simple and that's just to say, it's not. It does, don't just think about you. In other words, not just about you. And here's what I mean, but again, I'm not trying to be mean. What I mean is that In our culture, Christianity has become very individualistic because our culture is very individualistic. It's mine, it's mine, it's yours, it's yours. Your thing is not my thing. My thing is not your thing. I have my version of Christianity. You might have yours. I have my experiences. You have yours, and that's fine. We don't need to cross here. We don't even need to agree. But listen, the reason that is bad in this culture is because if all I have to draw from is my own personal knowledge and my own personal experience with God, then my ability to give thanks in all things is extremely limited, is it not? Because why? Because I'm a blip in time. I'm just a little blip. If I look at the scan of history, I'm nothing. God is eternal. It's his story, not mine. And so what I do as a Christian is I remember to thank God, thank God, be grateful to God, primarily, not... (coughs) not because of what I know about him personally or what I have experienced with him personally, but I thank God primarily because of what others know about him, what others have experienced with him. That's why God told the Israelites, stamp these things on your head, share these stories, pass them down to your other children and their children so this will be a remembrance to you. Here's a Passover so that you'll always remember what I did. And we're not like that. In America, we're like, you know what? God has to part the Red Sea in my lifetime for me to be thankful. It's like I need to experience the Passover in Egypt for me to understand who God is. I need to slay the giant. I need to make water come from a rock. I need to see the manna falling from heaven. I need to see the fire at night and the smoke by day. By day, I need to walk around the walls of Jericho and watch them fall. I need to be there. I need to be the blind person who's healed. I need to walk on water. And if that happens, then I'll trust him. It's almost as if the Bible doesn't matter to us anymore. But a Christian, a real Christian, thanks God for what we already know about him. Why does that give me hope? Because I might be having an awful day today or tomorrow. I had an awful day yesterday. Yesterday was the three-year anniversary of my brother dying, just not waking up one morning. And my family was having a bad day. And you know what? I was able to give thanks, not because of me or because of him, but because I still have a God who parted a Red Sea. You see? And that's so hard today because we're raising such skeptical kids. You know, you could go to any kid and say 2 plus 2 equals 4 and they might look at you and say, well, how do you know? I just want to smack them. How do I know? Because somebody told me. It's already figured out for me. That's how you know. Because I told you. Stop it. That's the same way I know that there's gravity. It's the same way I know E equals MC squared. I don't have to redo it. It's how I know that that ball in the sky I'm not supposed to look at because it's a sun because my parents told me. I don't need to know about the sun. I don't need to know that it's called a moon. It's a moon. You see? And as Christians, we're supposed to work the same way. You know why David said, the Lord is my shepherd? Do you know why he called him a shepherd? Because Jacob first called him a shepherd in Genesis. I know that God is good regardless of whether or not it's good in my life right now as I understand goodness. That's why I have a Bible And I can read it and know all of the stories about the same God that slayed a giant is the God who's my God. Amen. I don't need personal proof of God's goodness. And I celebrate and thank God for what all my brothers and sisters knew about God before me. And I thank God and celebrate God for what all my brothers and sisters know about God even now today in other denominations even, in other places, in other countries, in the African People about God. The Guatemalan people know something different about God, and I celebrate what they know as well. It's not just a, the world isn't spinning around me. So that's the how. <coughs> we work at it, we discipline our thinking, we submit and die to our need for comprehension, and then we celebrate His historical goodness. Now, finally, why? Why is it important to be thankful? and let me tell you why. It's going to be confusing at first. It's important to be thankful, because God wants us to be jewelers and not pigs. God wants every Christian to be a jeweler and less like a pig. Here's what I mean by that. What do pigs do with jewels? Here's what pigs do with jewels. They stamp on them, they eat them, they stamp on them again. There's nothing a pig can do with a jewel that makes it better, right? They hide it, they play with it, right? It means nothing to a pig. There's no value for them. What does a jeweler do with a jewel? They study them, they search for them, they collect them, they invest in them, they treasure them, they look at them and they know its value. Now tell me, what is the difference between a pig and a jewel? It has nothing to do with the jewel, does it? The difference is in the subject who possesses it. Are you a pig or are you a jeweler? Let me tell you a story about an old lady who died. She lived a a fine life. Hard life, but like most of us got through, she had a husband. She had one daughter. And like most of us, her life was uneventful and difficult. Her husband, she died, and her husband got a call a few days after the funeral, and it was her daughter, their daughter. And the daughter said, Hey, dad. how are you doing? Dad said, I'm struggling. She said, well, Dad, I, remember that dress-up box in the attic with all those cool dresses and, and they had all that dress-up clothes that I used to play with as a daughter and even had that really cool pink diamond and all that other costume jewelry? She said, can I come pick that up so my daughter can have that dress-up box? Dad said, yes, of course, just come on by. But that got him to thinking about that big pink diamond. That diamond came from his wife but he also knew that it got passed on to her from her mom and passed on to her mom from her mother's mom and from her mom on and on through the generations and he knew that from his from his wife that it came from France at some point in time and he thought you know he had a crazy idea before he gave that box to his daughter what he would do is he would take that piece of costume jewelry and go to a jeweler and have it appraised just in case He had mentioned this once to his wife, by the way, because he knew the story of it being passed down with such care, but his wife made him feel childish for even suggesting it. It was too large to be real, don't you know? But now she's gone. And as guys will do, we get silly and do things now because our boundary of a wife has been released. So he said, I don't care. I don't care if I I look stupid. I'm going to take it in. I'm going to look foolish. I'm going to go to the jeweler. So he takes it to his local jeweler. As soon as the jeweler sees this diamond he gives a little smirk. Of course he'll look at it. When he does, he suddenly gets very quiet. He, he, he begins to shuffle around the store. He, he, he brings his refractometer and his spectroscope. And yes, I, I looked up those words for you. And he, he studies it more as a jeweler will do. And he begins to get very agitated. And and he ends up, he, he says, hold on just a minute, and he calls a friend, a friend, a jeweler in a larger store just down the road in the city, and 30 minutes later, two other men are looking at it with their refractometers and spectroscopes, and, and then he hears even a few swear words under their breath, uh, words of surprise and exclamation, a lack of comprehension, and finally the jeweler comes back with the other two men, and they say to him, uh, by the way, they're very, very shaken, he can hardly speak, and he says to the old man, sir, I don't know what to tell you. This diamond has more carats than any diamond known to man. It's real. It's real. And I don't know how or where you got this diamond, but we've never seen anything like it in our lives. In fact, there's nothing like it in the history of all diamonds. It's It's priceless. There's no way to put a price tag on this. I can just tell you that it's billions upon billions. It's worth all of the diamonds in my store. It's worth all of the diamonds in his store. It's easily worth all of the diamonds in this state, and maybe even all of the diamonds in the world. All we know is it's real and it's priceless. And the jeweler who had you know, 30 minutes early was smirking is now shaken. And so is the old man, because he never knew And so as he's driving home, and this time with a police escort, (laughs) he starts to cry. Why do you think he's crying? Not because he has a diamond now and he's rich. Because he realizes that he never lived his life in, in accordance with the treasure that he had at his disposal every day. And his poor wife, All of the arguments that they had about bills, insurance, retirement, the sacrifices for the family all through their lives, always choosing McDonald, you know, never choosing Red Lobster, all of the anxiety, the fear of the future, the sleepless nights with his wife. All of it, all of it would have been so much different if they had only known what was in their home the entire time. He even buried her in a cheaper box, with a little headstone to save money. He's crying because he realizes that they had always been pigs when they could have been jewelers. Now here's why I share that story. is because as you leave today, here's what I know about you. Almost all of you in here believe in God. I would say maybe 100% of you believe in God. A smaller percentage of that, I would say you have God living in your house. You've crossed over a line He's drawn you to him. You believe in Jesus Christ and you believe and you have faith in Christ alone to save you. But here's what I want to say. It's almost like I want to say to that so because you have to still be a jeweler and the difference between you having this kind of limp along, fearful, anxious, grumbling life and a life that can be shot through with joy and thanksgiving and strength and peace and God's glory and confidence in the future. And, not, and it has nothing to do with what you have or don't have or what's happening to you or not happening to you. The difference is how you see, how you value, assess what you already have in your house. Are you a pig? Or this morning, is it possible for you and I to be jewelers? To, to see the value of eternal life and know that even if we have a short time on earth we have an eternity in heaven and some of us, I know some of us even here, right here this morning are counting on that and are living thankful lives right now because of that because they're jewelers you can be a jeweler too don't be a pig value what you have let's pray